And welcome to Podventure Time, the podcast where Pat gets Ben to be a fan of Adventure Time. Ben, how am I doing? Uh, okay. Pretty good. Yeah. All right. That's better than terrible. Yeah. You're doing fine. I'm enjoying it. I'm certainly like I'm certainly enjoying talking to you about it. Do anything fun lately? Um, what have I done fun lately? Uh... That was just an excuse for me to brag about just being able to see uh, my brother, my brother, and me live this week. Ah, yeah. Hey, Pat, did you do anything fun lately? Yes. Actually, thank you for asking, Ben. So Jackie and I were able to go see the McElroy brothers perform their famous podcast, My Brother, My Brother, and Me, in the Peabody Opera House right here in beautiful St. Louis, Missouri. They were as funny as you would expect. And for those who don't know what to expect, how funny were they? Very? Yes, very funny. Excellent. Um, I'm already, of course, hatching plans for Podventure Time live shows. I'm not sure we're ready to fill Peabody Opera House yet, but give us a sheet and a projector. We could like do MST3K style commentary on Adventure Time or some other cartoon. Yeah. This could really go somewhere, I think. Ooh, yeah, maybe we'll have to come up with a bonus episode or some bonus content where we, we do. We, Although it, MS, <laughs> Adventure Time is so absurd that I think like to do MST3K with, to that, you'd have to just do like a very like straight-laced, just literally explain what's happening. Like that's all you can do. So, right. <laughs> ah, they're, they're heading yeah, off into well, the woods now. It's been a long time since we've been on the stage together, Ben. we got to make this happen. It has been. It has been. The world needs us once more. I think so. But for now, the world's going to have to deal with just having our podcast. Yep, the voices we'll have to do for, for now. And our vaudevillian comic stylings will have to wait for a, another, another time. But I'm looking forward to talking about today's episodes. About, how about you? Yeah, definitely. Let's go ahead and jump right in. We're going to be talking about two episodes from Season 2 this week. They are Episodes 17 and 18, otherwise known as Death in Bloom and Susan Strong. So Episode 17 is called Death in Bloom, and why don't you go ahead and just start telling us what that's all about. Yeah, so I think I could probably sum up the main plot quickly, and then we can dive into all the ramifications and little... uh, little fun elements of this of the story as we get to them but in general the the boys are asked by princess bubblegum to take care of one of her houseplants while she is away a very very friend zone move if i may say so um (laughs) yes by pb they're asked to take care of her princess plant it's called a princess plant so i have to assume it's important and They do take care of it. They take care of it in the way one would expect the boys to take care of something in that they do it poorly or at least misguidedly and they end up killing it, which sends the plant's soul down to the underworld and so then they have to retrieve it from death himself in order to avoid the ramifications 
of, I guess, Princess Bubblegum being upset with them. I think is probably all that the stakes are for this, but as we saw in the previous episode of Podventure Time, the Adventure Time episode with the Science Barbecue, Finn is unable to accept letting down Princess Bubblegum in any way. So traveling to the underworld to retrieve the soul of a plant seems like exactly the right thing to do to these guys in order to avoid getting yelled at. Yeah, it's really their their only choice. They get put in charge of the princess plant, but they don't... It, it's not for lack of trying or neglect that the, the plant dies, but more because they try to feed it pizza yeah. and do other... I think they're misinformed as to how, how plants live. They they treated plant they treated the plant like yes. it was another bro in the party, and plants That's don't exactly actually right. respond to that quite so well. But so I think we can dive into some of the details of the episode now. Some of the because I really liked it. But now that we know that the general plot line, I think we can dive into maybe little scenes here and there so that we can hit hit the parts we like without having to hit every single plot point. Yeah, well, I, I we have to point out, I think last week you talked about how much you liked Peppermint Butler, and you thought that maybe he had kind of a dark side, but we learn uh, another interesting fact about Peppermint oh, in this I episode. I loved Peppermint Butler in this. So in order to get to the underworld, you have to be able to find the entrance to the underworld, of course, and helpfully, Peppermint Butler walks around the corner as, they're dis- as Finn and Jake are discussing their plan and says, uh, well, I can get you there. And they said, oh, well, that's great. And he sort of nonchalantly and offhandedly just says, we can discuss a payment for my services later. And the guys probably should have listened a little more closely at that moment. When someone's going to send you to the land of the dead and they promise to discuss what your payment will be later. Right. It's probably not going to be pleasant. Pep Butler does know the way to the underworld. The portal happens to be right there. I don't know if it's because Peppermint Butler can create the portal, or if the portal actually just exists right there in the castle, and you just have to, uh, you just have to find it or, or do the right ritual to make it reveal itself. In either case, Peppermint Butler reveals a portal to the underworld, right there in the castle, and he opens it for them. They step in. And as they as they are as the portal's closing, he just says, "Hey, you know, say hi to Death for me. He lives in a castle made out of light, and whatever you do, don't drink the portal closes." And on the ooh side of the portal, we hear Peppermint Butler finish his thought, saying, "Don't drink the water." But on the land of the dead side of the portal, where it has closed, uh, we don't get that detail. Finn and Jake did not hear the last part of that sentence, so they do not know what not to drink, and they kind of ignore it, actually. Yeah, Finn and Jake are not big, uh, not big on taking warnings in any way, so it it wouldn't have done much good even if they had heard the whole thing. Yeah, not big on. They're not detail oriented, I would say. Um, (laughs) But Finn and Jake are now in the land of the dead, which they soon discover is a horrifying place filled with gnashing monsters and evil spirits and just a whole lot of whole lot of scary stuff and death metal and death metal indeed uh it is a uh, i liked i liked the depiction of the underworld i also liked the depiction because they kind of they, there's like this pan past as they see the 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 immensity of the underworld 
they pan past all of these horrible monsters and lakes of fire and just horrifying images and they get down and down and down and down and down and finally when they get to like the bottom of the pit it's just a bunch of skeletons just sort of like sitting around which i liked uh just kind of chilling yeah there's no real torture or anything yeah it's like yeah there's like a lot of monsters and stuff but it's mostly just skeletons hanging out so and there's also a skeleton there's also an elevator down escalator that is an escalator down there was a which yes a big a big long escalator which i realized as i was watching this episode that i uh, it's it's sad but i am incapable of looking at escalators the same way ever again after a certain balding president rode down one to start his (laughs) xenophobic and hateful presidential campaign (laughs) um I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Um, the it's all I think about when I see an escalator now. Oh man, um, yeah, I can see that. I uh, both escalators, the one in the presidential campaign and this one, do uh, uh, eventually lead into hell. <laughs> yes. Um, my thought on the escalator was. It's something that I actually appreciate about Adventure Time in general, the writing style, knowing that they have like 10 minutes to tell a story, essentially. We've made comparisons in the past like to for between Adventure Time and other fantasy genres, like fantasy role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons. Now, like in a Dungeons & Dragons game, if, if a group of players got like dumped into the land of the dead and there was this description of like, okay, you're on a platform and... It's a thousand feet above the bottom of this pit, and between you and the bottom are several monsters and a lake of fire and a blah, 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 blah. Then it would just be like, okay, what do you do? And it would have taken, right. it would have taken like four hours of gameplay to get down there. Because it would have been like, oh, I'm going to try to climb down with my rope, and oh my gosh, the rope falls, and now you have to blah, 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 blah. It would have taken forever. <laughs> I love that it was just like, Oh, there's an escalator. So we just and then not only do they yeah. they not only not they don't even ride the escalator down normally. They like uh, sort of like uh, ski on Jake down the escalator. They sort of like go kart almost or uh, slide slide kart. Or I don't know if that's not a thing. They slide down the railings of the escalator. Like they even take the escalator quickly. It's not even it's not even that it's like a nice easy ride for them. They just like uh, snowboard down it. I really like yeah. that about Adventure there are Time. Certain uh, certain things have to happen in a twelve minute episode, and yeah. we don't have time to show all of them. Yeah, and I but I think they make such a fun, um, almost farce of it, or like almost like it's a bit of a satire of the genre in that, and it's like a yes um, that just like oh okay fine yeah like this is all like look at all this world building we're doing where there's like this huge world of the dead and like. A lot of exploring could be done and blah, blah, blah. There's a whole set of adventures that could be had all on the way down this cliff. But we're just going to slide past that. And we're going to go to this other part. <laughs> and I love it. So kudos to the writers. I like what you're doing. So they do. They bypass the monsters via the escalator. They say hi to, an, they, they say hi to a skeleton on the way down. Just like, how's it going? The skeleton's just like, fine. And they get to the bottom where they hit the entrance to the gates of the underworld. 
guarded by a giant skeletal vulture cyclops, like a one-eyed vulture sky vulture cyclops thing. Um, yeah, that's about the best way you can describe it. Yeah, uh, one-eyed cyclops is redundant. What do I mean to say? A skeletal. Yeah, the the main features are if I were to recap: skeleton, vulture, <laughs> cyclops. Uh, it's enormous too. And uh, he seems to be the, the bouncer to the gates of hell, the gates of the underworld. It's not really hell, actually. I can't, well, I can't quite tell. It doesn't have a religious really bent to yeah, it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's not religious it's in any way. It's hell-like in that it's underground. Yeah. But the, the skeletons who live there are fairly nonchalant about the whole thing. They seem yeah. to just kind of be yeah. hanging out, living life like they would if they were still alive. Yeah, it's not hell in that it's full of devils. It is the land of the dead in that it is full of death and it's ruled over by death, but it's much more matter of fact than it is like punishment area. Yeah. It's, it's more like the, uh, the Greek underworld or something. Yep, exactly. This is just where other, this is where souls go after they've died. And the, the way to get in is to just tell this giant vulture clops how you died. And as long as that's a satisfactory answer, you get in. So they watch one skeleton who has a, literally has a spear through his neck and the vulture kind of goes how'd you die and the guy just goes the <laughs> skeleton just goes spear through the neck and he goes okay you're in and the skeleton kind of goes <laughs> dancing through the gates uh finn and jake get up there and the skull the vulture clops is already kind of skeptical i think he's like how'd you guys die because they do not look dead it particularly dead and the only answer they can come up with is by being awesome which is probably how they will die eventually uh is actually that's probably foreshadowing i thought like yeah they probably will die doing what they consider awesome but we would consider uh foolhardy but that's yeah i don't want i don't want to ever see finn in a rocking chair just waiting to peacefully pass from this plane of existence yeah he's sliding to that headstone head like head first right yes but uh they they give the answer we died being awesome. This does not seem satisfactory to the vulture clops who says step out of line. Skeptical at best. Yeah, t- step out of line probably for some further interrogation. But Jake has a brilliant gambit, which is not listening, and they just <laughs> edge their way towards the door. And the Vulture Clops definitely gives them some stern warnings not to move, but never really acts on them. And within moments, they are just into hell. And the Vulture Clops kind of looks through the gates from his side and looks at them and just kind of goes like, oh, man. And Yeah, he, he's the gatekeeper, but he seems to be pretty much powerless. He, he yes. seems to be unable to move, so... Really, he relies on the goodwill of people trying to enter the underworld to have any power. And once Finn and Jake realize that they can just sidle past him, that's what they do, and they are in. Yeah. So they are in. They're in the land of the underworld, whereupon they meet, very quickly, some skeletons. And the skeletons are just enamored with seeing Finn and Jake, because it has been ages since they've seen anything with flesh. And they... The skeleton they're talking to just is poking and prodding and says, just look at this flesh just jiggling around. 
And uh, Jake even shows off a bit and says, you like flesh? Look at this. And <laughs> kind of go kind of goes into his like blob form where he looks where he just like gets really obese really quickly which is enthralling to the skeletons and skeleton calls his buddies over and they're like oh flesh 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 this is awesome and finn starts getting creeped out and jake's like no nah, man they just they just think we're cool and finn asks them directly do you think we're cool and the skeleton answers nope. just as directly Nope, we're going to eat the flesh from you. <laughs> and that quickly turns into what you would expect, a standard uh, zombie chase scene. A zombie, zealot, zombie skeleton fight, then chase scene. They, uh, they, they swarm Finn and Jake. Finn and Jake fight them off as best they can, but start to get overwhelmed. So Jake uses his superpowers, his super size, to get super big and super strong and fling all the skeletons off he swoops up finn and they run and hide in a in a in a hole and there's a great bit where he goes jake's like hole and puts finn in it and then finn's kind of like it's not really a hole so much as it is a divot and so then (laughs) finn just like or sorry jake just punches finn down into the earth and like makes a hole and it's like oh sorry and then jumps in after to hide so they've now they now realize that being living in the world of the dead is going to be more problematic than they assumed at the beginning. Uh, because now there is a army of zombies out there, army of skeletons who want to eat them or eat the, eat, at least eat their flesh and kill them. And so in order to get to the kingdom of death, the king, uh, the castle of death, they're going to have to sneak past the skeletons. Yeah, that's right. I think at this point they, they see Death's Castle, which is made of light, so it's kind of a beacon in the underworld, mm-hmm. and that's where they're headed. Yeah, sort of a Land of Oz situation that they can see it in the distance, and the Emerald Castle, the, the Castle of Light. And so they're heading there. They have to do a lot of maneuvering to get around zombies, and a couple, couple missteps here and there, Jake lets out a... A, rips out a fart that kind of alerts everyone to their presence. Because he thought it would be funny. And it was. He was right. It was. I'm sorry. Yes. <laughs> it was. But they uh, they managed to slip past the zombies and the, and the skeletons, and they do make it to Death's Castle. But before they do, the final obstacle they have to cross is just crossing a river. And the river has a bridge, so it's not even a hard obstacle. But... They don't. They didn't hear Peppermint Butler's warning, and by the time they reach the river, Jake is parched. He is thirsty. Yeah, and honestly, he, even if I think even if Jake had heard all of Peppermint Butler's warning, he probably would have behaved, if not exactly the same way, very very similarly. Yeah, that's true. And there's a little skull on the ground that starts talking to them and saying like, "Yes, get into the water, drink the water," and Finn. <laughs> Finn Finn sort of uh metagames. He understands that like, hey, when when skulls tell you to do something, you shouldn't do that. Uh and then the, <laughs> so then the skull takes a different tact. The skull goes uh reverse psychology and says, Don't drink the water. And then Jake's like, see, that means it's And good. that's that's plenty for Jake. Yep. Who then not only does he drink it, he just jumps cannonballs into this stream in the middle of the land of dead. And the skull starts laughing because Finn pops out of, or Jake pops out of the water, 
Finn just says, like, Jake, are you okay? And Jake says, who's Jake? And the skull laughs and says something to the effect of, ah, another victim of the river of forgetfulness or something. Yeah, Jake has no idea who he is anymore. Jake has no idea who he is, who Finn is, and Finn is trying to get Jake to go to the Castle of the Dead, but now Jake doesn't know who Finn is, which Finn didn't react to as strongly as I thought he might. Yeah. Like, they've this the bond that they share has been severed. And Finn... Finn acts a little matter-of-factly about it. Like, I mean, he's, like, upset, for sure. But I think he's like, oh, well, fine. The goal is to get to the kingdom of, the, of death, so he's the only one who can fix this anyway, so let's go. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is, is Finn realizes yeah. that now he's got two reasons to go to Death's Castle, but he yeah. still needs to go to Death's Castle, so he just kind of drags uh, Jake along with him. Yeah, Jake is not. Jake is now basically feeling like he's being kidnapped uh, by a stranger. Stranger danger. I think he yells "stranger danger" at one point. Yeah. So, but they do make it to fit Jake, make it to Death's Castle, and he and Death's Death is doing some sort of like Zen gardening in his castle. Yeah. Death's a calm guy, which I like the depiction of Death. I think I like I think depictions of Death are interesting and as a figure. And so I, I liked theirs. I didn't actually think it was like even that absurd. I think it was like kind of in line with other depictions of death I've seen. This one really left an impression on me. I'll, I'll tell you, you listen to the adventure zone, right? Yeah. So in, in my, my head canon, as it were, I cannot think of Kravitz, who is the death character in that show, I can't think of Kravitz as looking any like anything other than the death from Adventure Time. <laughs> <laughs> Having seen it. Which Adventure makes it Time weird first. when Taco when when Taco falls in love with, with Kravitz, it makes it a Ooh, little spoilers. weird, especially when they're Yeah, especially yeah. yeah. Okay, spoiler alert, sorry. If you haven't listened to the Adventure Zone, the balance arc, you should go do that right away. Uh but yeah. Imagining Taco kissing the adventure time death is it, it tickles me that that, yeah. that that version of death really left an impression on me yeah the death in this episode is very calm very matter of fact very much just uh comfortable in his own place in the universe and in his own power yeah, he doesn't really seem to have an agenda. He's not out trying to cull souls for the underworld. He just yeah, that's that's his thing, you know. He lives in the underworld and natural when order. Die, kind their of thing. souls come down there, and so yeah. be it. It's right. Well, Finn and Jake, he he is a bit annoyed that someone has uh, trespassed in his castle, so he orders Finn and Jake to leave, but Finn. Finn says, well, no, I can't leave without two things from you. One, restoring Jake's memory, and other, getting the soul of the princess plant back so that the princess plant can be restored back in the, world, in the real world. And again, kind of matter-of-factly, Death kind of just like saunters over to a stage in the middle of his castle. Yeah, he's almost, he's almost kind of like, oh, this again. yeah. He finally just says, like, fine, pick an instrument. Finn says, what? And Death explains, um, Devil went down to Georgia style. In order to get anything from Death, you have to best him 
in a musical contest. I also made the Devil Went Down to Georgia connection. That's exactly yeah. what I thought of. Yeah, I mean that's a that's when you make a deal with the devil, you have to, uh, or when you when you, I think that they've done that in. Uh, I think it's well, I think there's a lot of depictions of death that like death enjoys games and uh, yes, in order, you you beat death in a game, you get a favor from death. It's not always a musical contest. Sometimes it's a a different game. Like in Bill and Ted's oh, Bogus Journey. Oh, they do it really well in uh, Bill and Ted's, yes, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, where they play yeah, Twister. I think, I, I think they play Twister, or even like, was, it even, was there even like a guess what number I'm thinking? I can't even remember now. But yeah, Yeah, Twister. they play a huge series of games because death keeps going, okay, two out of three. Yeah, Okay, exactly. four out of seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, Devil Went Down to Georgia style. This is the devil, this is the Charlie Daniels version of how you compete against death. And... Uh, so there's this giant wall of basically every instrument in the universe that you can pick from. And so Finn kind of freaks out because Jake is the established musical genius of the duo with his violin. Uh, but Jake is incapacitated. So, and he's well, he's brain. Yeah. He's uninterested in, in any of this. So he's definitely not going to compete. So Finn has to find an instrument that he is competent and confident in. And he finds one. In sleigh bells, which yes. I I love because uh, he feels very confident in his sleigh bell ability, and then he quickly demonstrates it by just shaking them and shouting a lot, which I guess is the way to do it. Um, but my it's like my I liked the part where Finn is just generally just started like shaking sleigh bells and like shouting a bunch, and and Death goes, the contest has begun. Like, like, <laughs> like, like he accepts this as like a, a form of music and death's version death doesn't play any instrument apparently, except for the drums, um, that he can play. He plays two bass the kick drums. Boy, oh boy, does he play the drums? Yeah. He does. It's not even a full drum kit. He just plays the kick drums, the bass drums with his feet and then, uh, has a microphone where he shouts, he kind of screams some death metal over the drums. And oh boy! Yeah, does he he's play got him. the double the double kick drum pedals, so he's got the 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 kick drums going real fast, and then he's screaming in a death metal voice, and then I don't know, demons or somebody start to accompany him, and it is a impressive performance that Death yeah. puts on. It full, it, it complete with pyrotechnics and everything. He puts on a full show. Uh, Finn does his darndest. He he keeps up the energy for sure on the sleigh bells there. And then it comes down to once they're both complete, then death just goes, he just asks Jake, like, so who won? Like, uh, like there's no, there's no universal arbiter of this contest. It's just like Jake's there. So he gets to decide and Jake, again, not knowing who he is or who anyone is, he, he's, he says, objectively death won. Uh, that was an amazing performance. Finn's kind of heartbroken, like, oh, that was a moment where maybe maybe Jake's memory would have come back, but it, it didn't. And so Death imprisons Finn and is about to kill him because he lost the contest. And then Finn just says something, uh, says like, oh, well, before you kill me, I'm honor bound to tell you that Peppermint Butler says hi. I love that You sentence. know Peppermint Butler! Yeah, I, but I love, I'm honor bound to tell you, this dude says hi. <laughs> I love it. Finn keeps his word. 
Yes, you're right. Death reacts as you described. You know Peppermint Butler? Oh, well, you can have whatever you want. So he grants all the wishes. He Well, the two, at least. He gives Jake his memory back via the kiss of death. Yeah. Which grosses Jake out. And then he reveals the soul of the princess plant and sends it back to Earth. Or back to Ooh, that is. And tells, tells them to tell Peppermint Butler hey and sends them back to Ooh as well. So, problem solved. They get back just in time. The princess arrives. She has arrived on the morrow. On the morrow. Yeah, that was a, that was a joke we skipped. Uh, she tells them at the beginning that she will arrive on the... She will return on the morrow. And later in the episode, they're discussing that. And Finn, Finn says something like, well, she's getting back tomorrow. We've still got time. And, and Jake says, no, you don't understand. The morrow is the name of the giant falcon. That she uses to travel. And it's super fast. So she's, he's like, she'll be, she'll be back in like 20 minutes. But they make the it in time. Tomorrow is the bird. They do make it in time. And everything works out fine. Princess is super happy to see her plant. Peppermint Butler brings it to her. It, it, it turns out that the plant is important to, Pepper, uh, to the princess in that she eats the flowers and it makes her prettier, I guess. Yeah, it it seems to give her a haircut anyway. Yeah, it's a weird twist in that uh, the way that I think that I think Finn and Jake feel a little bit used in that uh, this plant was maybe made to seem important, uh, super important, and it turns out that it's just maybe a a beauty product for yeah the descending princess. into the underworld for a plant that. PB is just going to eat so that her hair will look nice is not exactly what they had in mind when they were doing not the payoff not the payoff that they were hoping for but she's happy and that is great and they all have a group hug to celebrate and in the midst of the group hug peppermint butler reminds finn and jake of the payment that he is owed and he says he they say sure whatever you want man and he just says i want your flesh <laughs> and they think they think he's joking, but then he he goes he gets all creepy demon eyes and says, "I will take it from you while you sleep." And then the and episode ends. Episode over. Yeah. Oh man, I love Peppermint Butler. Love him. Love him so much. He sticks around. It's good news. Uh, yeah, Pep Butt's a great character, and and he's around a lot. Excellent. So, um, love this episode. I thought it was really good. I thought it was really funny. Actually, this was. I mean, a lot of those episodes are funny, but I thought this whole episode had a had a really good rhythm to it and some solid jokes. Yeah, I also really liked this episode. I think Death is a great character. One thing that I noticed that I wanted to talk about is, did you notice that there are police cars strewn about the land of the dead? Yeah, I did notice that. What's your thought? I'm... Yeah, I'm choosing to interpret that as some kind of commentary on state violence. And, and that, that, of course, is me reading my own views into it. But I, I can't think of any other reason why really the only recognizable features in the land of the dead would be police cars, except to associate police with death. Yeah, I, uh, I to be honest, I can't come up with anyone, another one either. I, I did notice them, that they're in there. And you're right, it's not that there's just like cars it's not like there's police cars and other cars kind of strewn about 
it's just police cars. And that seems deliberate for sure. So, yeah, you know, I just looked it up and this episode originally aired in 2011. So it was before Mike Brown's murder, before Ferguson or anything. So I'm not sure what they were getting at, but it definitely seems to me that we're associating the police with death here. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Good catch. Um, I will accept your interpretation because I don't have a better one and welcome any other interpretations from listeners out there. If they would like to submit. Yeah, tell us, why are there police cars strewn about the land of the dead? We need to know. Otherwise, Pat's just going to keep assuming that it's a commentary on state violence. Yep. Proven that is wrong. So I think, uh, but in general, great episode. That's right. It's it's a good episode. Let's let's keep moving, though. Yeah, yeah. Very, very enthusiastic thumbs up from me on that one as well. And the next one I also enjoyed. The next one is called Susan Strong, and we really dig into some deep psychological issues that Finn has in this one. Yeah. So this episode is a world-building kind of episode, I think, um, or at least a mm-hmm. world ex- a world expanding episode. Uh, it gives you a lot of information. Yeah. So the general plot is that Finn and Jake are introduced to an underground civilization in the land of Ooh. Um, they're introduced to it because Princess Bubblegum takes them to a a field of cut down trees and and I can't remember the exact details of why they end up down there, but she they uh, find, she wants yeah. them to remove the stumps and the method right. by which they choose to do that is Finn throwing the Jake bomb but then he throws him at what appears to be a stump, but it's actually a hatch that leads down to this subterranean uh, right. layer. Right. And so they land up. They end up in this underground layer, and they find a entire civilization of beings down there, who are all. They all have similar facial features to Finn, and they all wear animal-themed headgear, just like Finn. And Finn, Finn seeing this, sees that he may have found where the people that he had, that, like people of his same kind, other humans. And uh, to this point, Finn has been the only human in Ooh. So the finding of a tribe of humans in the land of Ooh is a huge bill, a huge deal, a huge revelation. Yeah. In fact, before they even go down there, PB almost blows it. She, uh, well, well, she kind of does, you know, she says, Oh, it must, she says something like, it must be tough for you being the only human. And then she just kind of trails off. But I think we've discussed the possibility that, that Finn's the only human in Ooh, but I think we've, at least according to PB, uh, we've got some confirmation that Finn is indeed the only human boy in Ooh, but he goes underground and he sees people who look like him and very predictably, I think, and understandably, he seizes, he he, he grabs onto them and, and wants to to help them so that he can be with Others of his kind. Others of his kind. Yeah, I think this is huge for him. Like, no, he's never seen other humans in Ooh, and to find them here is great. They're very, very, like, I guess, feral humans, if they are. Yeah, they're skittish. Yeah, they very much, they li- they've lived underground. They don't like light. They don't like shadow. But Finn is determined to make a connection with them because it's so important to him to find this maybe 
find a, uh, a sense of community. And so, yeah, you really get the impression that even though Finn has his best friend, Jake and PB and BMO and everybody, Finn, really seems like he's pretty lonely in this episode. So when he finds someone like him, he sees that as a way to stop probably being so lonely and isolated. And, and yeah, he's totally dedicated to getting these people up in the sunshine to be his new human friends. Yeah. So he realizes that they are through sort of a series of, of sort of, uh, mis misguided attempts to kind of reach out to these people. He finally makes a small connection with one of them who he tries to ask her name and she basically just repeats words that he's saying, but he interprets it as her saying her name is Susan and she's very big and muscular. So he calls her Susan strong and he, as a sort of as an experiment, but also as like a first, he has a fully intention to bring the entire community up to the surface, but um, he's going to try it one at a time. Basically he brings Susan up to the surface of Ooh in order to acclimate her and show her all the cool things that Ooh has to offer that they don't have to live underground which i think is like we could talk about now like not only does he want to connect with these these assumed humans but he wants to immediately like elevate their lifestyle he wants to immediately like bring them into he doesn't want to live with them like he doesn't want to meet them on their terms he wants to out of a sense of like general like he he's not trying to like be He's not sinister about it. He just like genuinely thinks that they would have a better time up in the sun. Yeah, I think even though Finn has never met, even though Finn has never met another human, he does seem to have an idea of what humans are and what humans do. And live underground is not something that humans do. So he's going to get them up to establish a human colony actually under the sun in the fresh, beautiful air of Ooh. Right. So he brings Susan Strong up with them. Uh, back up to the surface and has to go through a series of sort of uh, scenarios where he is, he is acclimating her to life on the surface. Everything ranging from just experiencing grass for the first time to uh, meeting different kinds of fauna, like the dancing bugs or beavers or new kinds of food and has to introduce her to all these things and it goes pretty well actually like she starts to learn a bit of english or i guess i don't know if they call it english there in oob or not but she learns to communicate with common yeah she learns common she begins to trust finn and finn is really encouraged with the progress she's making and then after a while, they're having a camp out, and he introduces her to marshmallows through via like roasting marshmallows over a fire. And all of a sudden, something that was not present before or was not manifest before in Susan is in that she is clearly ravenous for more sugar once that marshmallow hits her lips. And boy, do I ident- identify with that feeling. Yeah, exactly. Like all humans, or at least Americans, exactly. uh, over overindulging on sugar is is a definite human characteristic. So, 
Finn introduces her to marshmallows, she goes a little bit nutty for him and runs and um and asks, you know, where can we get more of this? And he sort of naively says to her, Well, there's lots of this kind of stuff at the Candy Kingdom. And Whoops. Yeah. So then her eyes get big and she says, Yeah, we should go there. So they do. They go to the Candy Kingdom and meet Princess Bubblegum. Have a pretty it's a, it's kind of glossed over. They kind of jump cut us, but they have apparently a very nice visit with Princess Bubblegum. But afterwards, Susan is asking, you know, you said there was lots of candy here. Where is it? And Finn points out that the entire candy kingdom is literally made of candy. the From the structures to the floors to the streets to even the people. The denizens, I guess. People's probably not the right word. The citizens of the candy kingdom are literally made of candy. And once again, Susan Strong's eyes go big. And Peppermint Butler happens to be the one standing there when Finn introduces. Yeah. Uh, He and Susan instantly tries to start eating him. And Finn makes a correction in his description by saying, no, you can't eat these kind. If they talk, (laughs) I think he says, if they talk, if they talk, you can't eat them because they have aspirations. Um, (laughs) Which is a fantastic line. So I think Susan kind of gets it, uh, or at least she seems to get it. And Finn then says, but, you know, look, you can eat the road. Like, it's made of, I think it's like road brittle or something like that is what he calls yeah. it. Side, sidewalk brittle. And uh, so then she understands and says, well, I'm going to go get all the other humans, and we're going to eat the entire candy kingdom. Uh-oh. Yeah, here comes the conflict. Here it comes, and Finn tries to re-explain, and she says, no, I understand. We won't eat that stripey guy, Peppermint Butler. We will just eat everything else. So <laughs> he, they have, she has misinterpreted his instructions, and now he has put the entire Candy Kingdom in danger with his little experiment. And so Susan runs off to join the humans and rally them to come devour the Candy Kingdom. Meanwhile, Finn and Jake head for the Candy Kingdom to prepare the folks over there to defend themselves and try to figure out some way to keep Finn's people, Finn's new tribe, from <laughs> completely eating his old tribe. Yeah. A George divided cannot stand. A Finn divided cannot stand. It's, it's, it's one of his worlds colliding with another one of his worlds. His new family and his old family. Yes, and Finn feeling attachment to both wants to find a peaceful solution to this problem. Uh, right. It's, it's one time where Finn doesn't rush headlong into a problem with his sword drawn because he doesn't want the candy people to be eaten, but he also doesn't want them to harm the humans with whom he wants to form a relationship. So Finn's in a tough spot. And uh, they actually hatch a pretty clever plan for how to get the humans away from the Candy Kingdom. Yeah, it's basically that they remember that because the humans are so skittish that perhaps they can scare them away before before it comes to any kind of violence. Exactly. Maybe they can scare them away. However, the plan has a flaw in that the Candy Kingdom and the people of the Candy Kingdom are so darn cute that they can't really even muster any sort of scariness. 
Yeah, PB has dressed them as ghouls and witches, but they're they're still just dug on dug on cute. Yep, it's not gonna work. They can tell uh, Finn and Jake can tell right away that this is not gonna be scary enough. However, they do notice that the candy people candy people can cast relatively scary shadows when they want to, or at least can do some pretty good shadow puppetry play. So they figure, well, let's give this a shot. So as the humans converge on the Candy Kingdom, they throw up a screen in front of the main gate, uh, light a fire as a light source, and then basically do shadow puppetry against the screen, looking like big, scary ghouls and things like that. It momentarily does frighten most of the humans, but then Susan, who Finn has educated in the ways of the world, tells them, don't be afraid, that's just a shadow. Finn's work is used against, his good works are used against him. No, no good deed goes unpunished, I suppose. And they're right back at square one. And so they get ready to, they get ready to retreat. However, not all the members of the Candy Kingdom are ready to retreat. Yeah, Finn's heading out to try and reason with the humans. Right. But meanwhile, the, the Marshmallow Boys never back down from a fight. Right, which these are literal marshmallows, <laughs> kind of like the Lollipop Guild. But they are mar- the Marshmallow Boys, and they say, today we become Marshmallow Men. And they rush out <laughs> into, they rush into battle, and as they do, the fire that they were using to cast shadows gets away from Jake a little bit, and they lights all the marshmallows on fire. And so now they are flaming marshmallows, screaming at the humans, and while Finn is trying to attempt to uh, broker a peace, these flaming marshmallows come out and attack all the humans and light them on fire. The humans are terrified and on fire and start running away. And in the process, they start ripping off of their headgear because it's on fire. And it turns out when they rip off their headgear that they aren't human at all. They are some sort of fish people that have a very similar face to Finn. And a very similar build, but the headgear that they were wearing hid the fish face that uh, was underneath. So Yeah, they've got fins and gills, and Finn yeah. at this point is utterly... He's I, heartbroken, I think. He just doesn't yeah. have any idea what on earth to think about this. Right. I mean, it's basically he... It's like he found a new family, and then the family was just is like ripped away from him. They, it was never actually there. And he doesn't know right. how to handle that. Um, it's a sad moment for him, actually. Like, it, you know, you feel yes, for Yes, it him. is. And there's a very poignant moment where the, the rest of the fish humans have run off. Uh, they've all taken off their, their hats or headgear and exposed their gills and fins. But Susan still has her hat on, and she kind of walks up to take a look at Finn, one kind of last look before saying goodbye. And Finn kind of says, well, what are you? Are you a human or or what? And she doesn't really answer. She keeps her hat on and runs away, leaving Finn still wondering if maybe there's still hope out there that there are other humans in Ooh somewhere. Yep. So then the the episode basically wraps up after that. And um, but I think there's a lot to unpack here. Oh, a tremendous amount, yeah. So, where should we start? I I think, I mean, we can talk about, maybe we talk about first, like, you've watched more, so I will only have theories at this point, but, like, 
this definitely opens up the possibility of other humans existing in Ooh. They kind of, I mean, like, it's like PB definitely says they're not. Like, Finn's the only one. She says it, like you said, she says it sort of offhandedly and trails off before Finn can actually hear her. Yeah, it's like she doesn't want Finn to know for whatever reason. Right. Um, but I just, I can't remember her phrasing. Does she say he's the only one or the only one left? I can't remember how she uh, says I it. think she says you're the only human in ooh, I think is how she okay. she phrases it. But like, I mean... I don't know whether she says left. That's a good question. But I guess regardless, um, you know, this concept that like Finn exists alone in this world. He's the, If he is the only human, and they haven't really, you know, they didn't, in, up to this point, they haven't dealt with that. They, this is... This is the first time he's had to emotionally deal with that fact, and yeah, and I think learn- on top of on top of being the only human, Finn really has to. He hasn't grappled with the fact fully that he is human. I think this is the first episode where, you know, they call him Finn the Human Boy sometimes, but this seems to be the first time where we see Finn kind of thinking about the implications of all that and what it really means to be human. He's, he's confronted with his own humanity in a way that he hadn't been before. And then he happens to meet people that he believes are humans and becomes very emotionally invested in them because he's just started to confront his own humanity. Yeah, it's, it's, this is a hugely developmental episode for Finn, I found myself thinking, well, one, I started thinking about the metaverse and the, my dream theory. Um, yeah. What does this mean? What does this mean for that? Um, my two thoughts are, you talked about it as well, like Finn definitely knows what it means to be human, or he at least has an idea. Like you said, like, like humans don't live underground. Right. And I guess my thought was like, well, for him to know that or have that sense... Um, like, I guess, I guess he could just be basing it off of his own reality. If he's the only one and like, he doesn't live underground, then others shouldn't. But it, it seemed wider. That it seemed bigger than that, that like humans as a species don't live underground. And that was sort of like hardwired into his understanding of humanity. And I wonder where that comes from. Yeah. It's, it's like, if he can just show them how great the world is up above ground, then they'll just immediately become normal grass loving humans right he doesn't assume that he's the anomaly he assumes they're the anomaly in terms of where one where a human would live and so the fact that he thinks that way makes me think like oh well then he he's bringing in knowledge from somewhere and could that somewhere be the waking world right like he's bringing that knowledge of humanity in so that was my first thought the second though is i think i mean unsurprisingly because i think it's very common for kids of any of that age to feel this way but like the sense like the the desire to fit in and the desire to find a group that you enjoy hanging out with or that you feel that you fit in with is like priority number 1 for like mm-hmm. preteen preteen humans essentially yeah and so like the fact that this is manifesting in his this way in his dreamscape that like it's not just that he's looking for someone to fit in with on a personality level like this manifests itself as like he is it's he is his own species so for like in this world and he's trying to find other members of his species 
is such a really interesting or like a fun way for like that kind of desire of his to manifest in the dream world. Yeah, I think he is sort of, uh, he could be, if he's a real boy in the real world, working through his issues of fitting in and or not fitting in and being lonely in his dreams by by creating this group of people that he wants desperately to be a part of, but it, it doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, like the metaphor of like, if in the real world he doesn't even feel like he belongs to the human race, like if he feels like he is his own species, um, right? That metaphor is really strong, and yeah, I mean, I could even imagine very much so that like a the waking world Finn, if he is anything like his dream world Finn, or like someone who is obsessed with adventures and fantasy and monsters and wants to only talk about that kind of stuff. I could imagine that kind of kid having trouble uh, finding a group. Yeah, he's probably doing this back before Dungeons and Dragons was cool. Yeah, exactly. That's, I mean, he's, 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 uh, I feel for the kid if that's what's going on. Uh, that's a classic, yeah. that's, that's classic nerd. He's a classic dork if that's what's happening in the stereotypical sense of that. And I think we've seen enough. TV and after school specials and things about like uh, feeling about that kind of kid that feel the, the you can assume that they're not making the most they're not the most popular kid in school. Yeah, no matter what Finn may be like in his waking life, you know whether he doesn't have friends because he's a nerd or he doesn't have friends just because he's twelve years old and that's a really difficult time. This is, I think, a really cool way to deal with that issue that basically everyone confronts at some point in a really exactly. creative way that fits really well into the larger world of ooh as well. Yeah, I liked it a lot. I think it's great. Yeah, I'm trying to fit it into my own little narrative, but regardless of whether it fits that or not, I think just dealing with that concept of wanting to fit in in this way is um, is really well done. I mean, and especially in the span of 10 minutes, frankly, you know, they dealt yeah. with a lot of emotion. Yeah. They dealt with a lot of emotional nuance in a short span of time. Yeah. When Susan, who's a character that we've known for literally 10 minutes, looks at Finn and then sort of runs away, it's it's pretty poignant. Yeah. Agreed. It's they, it's amazing uh, what they've done with this episode. Very much one of my favorites to date. Awesome. Any other topics you want to discuss? I think we've pretty well covered it. You know, I, I, I think um, I also really, really like this episode. It definitely is one where we see this cartoon turning into something with, you know, for lack of a better term, human characters. Finn is very, mm-hmm. very human in this episode. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I will say, like, as a as a final just, like, offhand note, like, the fact that PB knows if she knows that Finn's the only human, but like isn't telling him or like, isn't, I don't know, like that she's withholding that in some way from him. It is like, it's another, it's another way that she's manipulating him. Then it's another like, yeah. I wonder if she has an agenda beyond, it would be really hard for a little boy to confront that fact, you know, but yeah, we've seen from PB certainly that when she does stuff like that, there's, 
something in it for her. Yeah. Well, time will tell, I suppose. Time will tell as we continue on our Adventure Time journey. So I am uh, thrilled to hear that you liked this one. I assume that means you've moved closer to the fan side of our spectrum. Indeed. Yeah. I'll talk about this episode with anyone who wants to. Very good. So we will talk about a couple more episodes next week. And if you do want to talk to Ben about this episode, of course, you can tweet at us at Podventure Time. You can jump on Facebook. And if you really like what we're doing, you can go to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or something like that and give us a rating and a review. Yep, we really appreciate it if you can. Uh, it really helps us out. And, and it lets us know what you like and what you don't like about the show. So we appreciate any feedback you're willing to give. Well, I'll tell you one thing I do like about the show, Ben, is our intro and outro music. So I got to say thank you to my good friend, Will Yates, for allowing us to use Date Night off of his EP, I Know the Feeling. Head over to willyates.bandcamp.com and pay what you want for that EP as well as a newer one. So thank you, Will. And I suppose this is where we can go ahead and wrap up. So until next time, I've been Pat. And I've been Ben. And this has been Podventure Time. Start is a Beelzebub! Beelzebub!